If you have been following along in this exploration of the Gospel of Mark, you know that Mark is more concerned with what Jesus does than what he teaches. In this particular gospel, Jesus is always on the go. He's going from one activity to another, going about the work of the kingdom. In fact, it's not until the fourth chapter of the gospel of Mark that we find much in the way of Jesus' teachings. It's not that Jesus' teachings are unimportant, mind you. I mean, of course, it's of the utmost importance. But according to Mark, what is even more important than Jesus' teachings is the teacher himself, who he is and what he came to do for us. For you see, it is not the teaching of Christ that saves, but the Christ who teaches. Let me say that again. It's not the teaching of Christ that saves, but the Christ who teaches. That distinction is really important for you and for me to grasp. Because when Peter and Paul first preached the gospel to the crowd, they didn't begin with Jesus' teachings. They didn't begin with the Sermon on the Mount or Jesus' teachings on forgiveness or discipleship and so on. They preached what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. They preached Christ and Him crucified. No wonder that the Gospel of Mark devotes devotes half of his gospel to the story of Jesus' passion, his suffering, and his death. The gospel is Jesus himself and his saving work accomplished for us on the cross. That is the core of the gospel. Jesus himself is the gospel. And if he is the core of the gospel, then his teachings describe how you and I are to properly respond to the gospel. Again, it's not his teaching that saves, but it is Jesus who teaches. Now that said, hope you got that distinction. That said, Jesus was a master teacher. And as such, his personality and his teachings have had greater impact and influence upon the world than any other person, living or dead. Much has been written about that amazing influence, of course. One scholar from Yale, an historian, puts it this way. He says, regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost two, well, 20 centuries. If it were possible, with some sort of super magnet, to pull up out of history every scrap of metal bearing at least a trace of his name, how much would be left? Jesus, the master teacher par excellence. And of course, Jesus continues to teach through his word, through his spirit. Now, one of the chief characteristics of Jesus' teaching is his use of parables. A parable is a story drawn from ordinary life to point to some spiritual truth. It usually employs a simile or a metaphor, an analogy or a comparison. And one of the purposes of his parables is to get people to think, to really get them to think. And therefore, a parable serves as a window unto the truth. But parables also have a way of concealing the truth from those who are too stubborn or too prejudiced to hear what is being taught, as Jesus himself notes. Now, though you won't find very many parables in the Gospel of Mark, not as many as in Matthew and Luke, Mark does include several of them in the fourth chapter of his Gospels. 
So let us then turn to what's called the parable of the sower, a parable that is actually common to all three Gospels. As you know, there were four Gospels, but John is in a, in a category by himself. Parable of the sower. Listen to God's word. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the, the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. So think of the scene. Again, the crowd was pressing around Jesus. The poor guy can't go anywhere without attracting attention. Last week, we saw so many people crowding into his little house that he wasn't even able to eat at the table. And now we find him so harried and crushed by the crowd that he has to get into a boat and have it pushed offshore in order to speak to them. But maybe there's another reason why he got into the boat. Because not too far from the village of Capernaum, there's a place, a cove, along the Sea of Galilee where the water and the semicircular slope of the hill above forms a kind of natural amphitheater that makes for wonderful acoustics. I think we have a picture of that. Um, not too far from Capernaum, where Jesus spent most of his, a lot of his ministry, there's that cove and there's a slope. It creates kind of, a, a, like I say, a natural amphitheater. Wonderful acoustics. In fact, acoustical research in this particular place has demonstrated that as many as 7,000 people could hear a person speaking from a boat in the bay. And it's thought that this is actually the very spot where Jesus taught the parable of the sower. 
In fact, today the bay is actually called Sower's Cove. And this location was an appropriate setting for this parable because here in this area up on the slopes, you will find some fertile black earth, some rocky ground, and plenty of thistles and thorns. So it is in this place, in this setting, this natural amphitheater, that Jesus was preaching the Word of God. And despite the great acoustics of the place, I'm sure he was wondering whether the crowd was really hearing him. Jesus was well aware that his message was provoking a variety of reactions and responses. He knew all too well that many of his words were falling on deaf ears. They weren't getting through. So Jesus prefaces his teaching with the imperative to the crowd. He says, listen. And then he ends the teaching with another imperative, with a warning, actually. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. To emphasize the right kind of hearing, Jesus told a parable. It's popularly called the parable of the sower. A sower went out to sow his seeds. And uh, obviously, back in those days, there was no machine. There were not straight rows, you know, that, uh, that you put the seed into. But rather, a sower would scatter the seed uh, and uh, with the thought that, that a lot of the seed would fall on hard ground and, or it would be carried away by the wind or eaten by birds or so on. But the thought was that uh, enough would have fallen into the good ground that it would produce an abundant harvest. Jesus, being the uh, sower, of course, hopes for that abundant harvest, that all would hear the word of God, that would take root and grow. And again, the, the sower scatters the seed. He wants everybody to hear the word and to make it grow in their lives so that they bear rich fruit. But the emphasis in the parable is not so much here on the sower or the seed but rather the different kinds of soils into which the seed fell. It's perhaps, therefore, more accurate to call this parable the parable of the soils. I suppose if somebody asked me what I was going to be preaching on this week, I'd say I'm preaching on dirt. The four different kinds of dirt or soils described by Jesus represent four different kinds of hearers, four different kinds, actually, of human hearts. And we don't have to fit ourselves or others into any one category because chances are there's a little bit, bit of each of these soils in each of us. First, there's a soil that was so hard and trodden upon that the seed couldn't even penetrate it, couldn't even germinate. The seed lay on the surface so that they were eaten up by the birds. These are the hearers who have hardened their hearts to the word of God. Their hearts are as hard as the asphalt or the concrete on our freeways. The message goes in one ear and out the other. Absolutely nothing will convince them of their need for God. They have closed their minds to the truth. Someone has said the hardest thing to open is a closed mind. Such folks only hear what they want to hear, and nothing will convince them otherwise. Such was the case with the Pharisees and the scribes in Jesus' day. They didn't listen to a thing Jesus said. They only wanted to accuse him and get rid of him. Speaking of closed minds and, uh, and hearing only what one wants to hear, there's a, a humorous story that comes from Theater Arts Magazine. 
It's actually not a magazine that I read, but uh, it's Theater Arts Magazine. Seems that there was a subscriber to Theater Arts Magazine that dialed information to get the magazine's number. So he calls up, sorry, but there's nobody here listed by the name of Theodore Arts. So the caller said, it's not a person, it's a publication. I want theater arts. I told you there's no listing here for a theater arts. Confound it, the word is theater, T-H-E-A-T-E-R. That is not the way to spell Theodore. So why are some people so deaf to the gospel, deaf to good news? Why have they closed their minds? Why are their hearts so impervious to God's love? Perhaps they've hardened their hearts because of some bad experience they've had in a church or some poor witness of a Christian somewhere. Maybe they are angry at God for something that has happened to them and they haven't forgiven him. Perhaps it is their intellectual arrogance and pride that keeps getting in the way. They have no need for God because, after all, they can save themselves. Whatever their hearing problem, the gospel just doesn't seem to get through. They just don't get it. Now, of course, a lot of us hearing this probably think of, might think of some people who are kind of like that, you know. Just don't tell me about it. I don't want to hear it, you know. But, you know, it's not just other people, but it's you and me, too. We all have times when we harden our hearts to the truth. Perhaps we find that what God wants to say to us is a little too painful and rather hard to bear, and so we choose to tune God out, selectively hearing only what we want to hear. Sometimes God is asking us to make changes in our lives that we don't want to make. Soon we stop listening altogether. And the more we resist God's word, the harder our hearts become. And then, secondly, there is that thin layer of soil on top of rock that Jesus talks about where the seed quickly sprouts only to wither away because it lacks deep roots. These are hearers who have not hard hearts, but shallow hearts. They hear the word of God and respond with enthusiasm. They join the church right away. They get involved in all the groups and activities. They buy all the Christian books, and uh, they, they come to, to worship all the time. But in a few years, what has happened? They've drifted away, made a great beginning, but no finish. Quick start, too quick to give up. Their faith is too shallow. It's too superficial, perhaps based too much on emotions and feelings and not enough on conviction. Perhaps they never counted the cost when they first set out to follow Jesus. What person builds a tower, he says, without first making sure he has what it takes to build it. Eugene Peterson speaks of the Christian life as a long obedience in the same direction. Wrote a book with that title, Long Obedience in the Same Direction. In fact, I like what, he's, what he says. I think he's right on. He says, it's not difficult in our world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. Well, I don't know. Maybe it is a little bit more difficult now. But anyway, 
Not difficult in our world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. It's terrifically difficult to sustain the interest. Millions of people in our culture make decisions for Christ, but there is a dreadful attrition rate. Many claim to have been born again, but the evidence from mature Christian discipleship is slim. In our kind of culture, anything, even news about God, can be sold if it is packaged freshly, but when it loses its novelty, it goes on the garbage heap. There's a great market for religious experience in our world. There's little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. Obeying Jesus Christ is not easy. Sometimes he says stuff that we really don't want to hear. It involves self-denial, actually, and self-sacrifice, which is directly counter to our culture of today. It's all about self-affirmation. It's all about me. No, self-denial, taking up your cross, sacrifice. And this is a journey that never ends. But sadly, those who respond to the Word of God with shallow hearts will never sustain it. All start, no finish. Or perhaps their shallowness has to do with their own expectations of Him. As I mentioned last week, The crowd stuck with Jesus as long as as they were able to get things out of him, healings or a free lunch. But the moment Jesus disappoints and fails to live up to those expectations, then away with him. And so you have the Palm Sunday crowd, right? One day they're saying, Hosanna, son of David. And then many of those in the crowd shouted, crucify him a few days later when they realized this isn't going to be the guy that's going to save us from the hand of the Romans. Shallowness. Really thin in terms of depth. And then there's a soil infested with weeds full of thorns. These are the hearers with a crowded heart. These are the people who hear the Word of God and respond wholeheartedly. They make a solid beginning in their life of faith. Then God begins to bless them, and they prosper, and they have children and grandchildren. They succeed in their jobs. They pursue many hobbies, acquire lands, houses, many friends. They join clubs, receive honors. And before they know it, all these things have choked out their primary commitment. Their hearts are so crowded with good things, they can no longer hear what the Lord is saying to them. And Jesus explicitly mentions three thorns in life, worry, riches, and pleasure. Worry spreads the wild seeds of doubt and lack of trust, and these seeds spoil life faster than dandelions in a a lawn. And riches, material things, pleasures, they're not bad in themselves, but they have a way of capturing our allegiance, dominating our thinking, and our time to the exclusion of spiritual priorities. So it's no wonder why back in Old Testament days that Moses warned the people of Israel as they were poised to enter the promised land, the land of milk and honey, he had to remind them that when they come into that land and they enjoy wealth and plenty and the good life, that they should take special care not to forget the Lord their God. So you and I could all stand a little weeding and putting the right things first in life, putting Him first in our life. And certainly our hearts are too crowded if we have no time to listen to God through Scripture or have no time to worship or to pray, no time to give to other people, no time to do what God would have us do. And then, 
there is the good soil. And it came up and it yielded a crop, said Jesus, a hundred times more than was sown. These are the listeners whose hearts are not hard or shallow or crowded. No, they have hearing hearts. And that's what Jesus was looking for in those who stood on the seashore. And that's what he wants to see in you and in me. He is looking for a hearing heart, a heart that's open to the truth, even if it's unpopular or hard to bear. He's looking for a heart that ponders God's word, retains it, translates it into action so that it bears fruit in people's lives. When you and I hear the word of God aright and it takes root in our lives, all of life is transformed. It produces a rich harvest, a bumper crop of joy. And here Jesus really puts the emphasis on the abundance of the harvest. I mean, no farmer could even dream to have a hundredfold yield. I mean, it's incredible. It's like, you know, the baskets and the loaves. There was more than you could imagine that was even left over. There is within the seed of God's word an inherent power to grow and to multiply and to produce. And it came and yielded a crop, said Jesus, a hundred times more than what was sown, so that together the sower and the seed can bring about growth that is far more abundant than anyone could ever have dreamed of or imagined. God's word will not return to him empty in spite of the receptivity or lack of receptivity of some. There may be those who resist God's word or who reject it, but despite what may seem like discouraging odds, there's no stopping God's word. The harvest in Jesus' ministry will be beyond compare. There's power in God's word. It will not return to him empty. So then... What is the soil condition of your heart right now, your heart and mine? We have to do a little bit of self-examination here. Because if your heart is anything like mine, it needs cultivating and some weeding. When our hearts are hard, may God's Spirit soften them. When our hearts are shallow, may God's Spirit deepen them. And when our hearts are crowded with too many things, may God's Spirit thin them so that we may have hearing hearts and receive the abundant harvest that God wants to produce in us, a bumper crop of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let everyone who has ears to hear let them hear. Let us pray. Lord, when we're honest with ourselves, we realize that there's a little bit of each of those kinds of soils in our heart. And we realize that we have not been truly receptive to your word such that it takes radical root in our lives because then it would really show. But Lord, we want to give our hearts to you this day. May the seed of your word grow in us 
so that it might indeed yield a bumper crop, a bumper crop of love and joy and faithfulness such that other people are able to see Jesus in us. In Christ's name, amen.